Assalamu alaikum, good evening uh, to the listeners and welcome to the very first episode of Constitution Matters. Uh, but different from Legal Cafe, I mean, or the Legal Hour, but the Legal Hour will be between 7 and 9. Tonight we're focusing now on the Constitution Matters. Now this is a series that will air every Monday evening at 6 o'clock throughout the month of September. Okay, Constitution Matters is presented in collaboration with Voice of the Cape, Students for Law and Social Justice, the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, and Canon Collins. Those are the four entities that's involved with Constitution Matters. And during this series, we will be discussing pressing matters in the Constitution, mainly um, that will affect you and I as South Africans. In this series, we hope to educate and inspire you and ignite a thirst of curiosity. Because people are always curious about what's happening with the Constitution. We have equally realized that despite our Constitution being termed as one of the most progressive documents uh, in the world, uh, we have realized that it is unfortunately not as progressive and forward-thinking as, as we have thought it is. Because there's a few reasons for that, and that is the reason why um, this series aims to be a catalyst in order to change this type of thinking. So over the next few weeks, we will be covering some topics such as the right to protest, which is also a big one in, in, in the country at the moment, the right to education, the right to property, and of course, violence against women and children. And then we also, we're going to end off with the right to, to freedom of religion and freedom of expression. Now, this evening, we'll kick off uh, the series with a robust discussion on the right to protest. So remember, this series is all about you and your voice, and we really want you to join in the conversation, like you normally do on, on Voice of the Cape. And um, the SMS line is 47913, and the WhatsApp line is 072-238-0712, and the studio on air is 021-442-3530. And we'll also facilitate discussion on our social media platforms, so you can reach us on um, Twitter, login is at VOCFM, and on the Facebook page, it's the Voice of the Cape, login password, amazing team, VOCFM, all in one word. Okay, um, so considering our topic, which is the right to protest, this right is captured in section 17 of the Constitution. And it provides that everyone has the right, peacefully and unarmed, to assemble, to demonstrate, to picket, and to present petitions. The one problematic area in this right is that, as you may know, it has an internal limitation. Okay? Now, we're not, I'm not going to read you the whole story that I've been asked to introduce about the limitation, but I am going to ask my guests at the later point to explain this limitation clauses. Okay, because I don't want to read to, to lose you at this point to think need to feel proudly. So we want to actually engage the, 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 the listener tonight. So in studio with me tonight is Mr. Ghalib Khalant from the Right to Know campaign. Assalamu alaikum Ghalib. Wa alaikum salam, Iksan. Now Ghalib, in a minute you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself. But uh, for now, let me just introduce the, 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 the panel. And the other person that I have, well, not on, we'll have him on the on telephone, 
Uh, he is online at the moment. He's Mr. Ibrahim Fakir. Assalamu alaikum, Ibrahim. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Good evening to all your listeners and shukran for having me. Oh, shukran for, for agreeing to be on the program tonight. But before we, 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 we go further, Ghalib, you have been an old campaigner. <laughs> you know, you've been around. I mean, I do remember you from the, the early 90s, you know, when you were with the Center for Conflict Resolution. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So I still carry the, the torch, I guess, of conflict resolution um, even after so many years. Um, more currently, um, my work around the right to protest um, stems from my work in the, the Right to Know campaign. Uh, right to Know campaign is obviously um, a campaign that it promotes access to information, um, freedom of expression, um, and uh, very much um, anti-secrecy. If you mm -hmm. remember, the Right to Know campaign arose out of the secrecy bulwark. Um, but beyond that, um, in the last maybe decade or so, I've been working around human rights and conflict transformation, particularly in, in elections. Okay, we are very pleased tonight to have you on here tonight. I mean, it's really always a pleasure to get old activists, you know, people that really... Um, you know, I had the, 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 the hand on the pulse of the community with regard to rights. And coming to you, Mr. Fakir, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I, I suppose that's a little difficult, but anyway, I um, kind of been working in this area of sort of public policy and political research for quite some time, first at the Institute for Democracy in South Africa, then at the Center for Policy Studies, um, and subsequently at the Electoral Institute. And I now work at the All Socioeconomic Research Institute in Johannesburg, but um, also serve on the Advisory Council of the Council for Advancement of South Africa's Constitution. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, I hope that tonight, you know, with all that experience and uh, your the, the, the the, the things that you do in the communities, you know, we will benefit from that tonight. So coming back to, to why we are here tonight, you know, the, um, it's quite exciting, you know, to, to see that, you know, we, we're really taking this South African constitution and we're really analyzing it. Ghalib, what is your take on, uh, well, how do we start off with this right to protest? I mean, maybe Mrs. take us through the, through the general... Uh, uh, concept of the right to protest, how it is kind of protected by the constitution, and we'll take it from there. So you read out um, in the introduction uh, that the the right to protest in section 17 of the constitution um, speaks of the right uh, peacefully and unarmed to do a number of things, um, to gather, to hand over petitions, for example. Um, and so section 17 uh, says that everybody in South Africa, this is not a right that is limited to citizens only. Uh, this is the right to anybody um, in South Africa, within the confines of South Africa, has the right to uh, gather um, and then to uh, make known their political demands. So the right to protest is crafted very much in relation to political demands. If you're gathering um, for a march, but it's not in support of a political demand, then that's an event. And you will see that it, um, they're also managed in, in very different ways by municipalities. But the, you also spoke about the sort of internal 
um, limitation in that right to, to, to protest, which is um, this notion of peaceful and unarmed. And maybe a little bit later we can, we can get to, to that. Okay, Rale, we're just going to go for an ad break quickly. I mean, it's very unfortunate that we, you know, we must now break with this, but uh, we will get back to it immediately after that. And we are back after the, the ad break. Uh, we've got Ghali Pralantia and we've got still on the telephone. We have um, Ibrahim Fakir. Ghali, you were still saying? So I just wanted to make the point that Section 17 um, is the, the right to strike, which says that you may um, gather, assemble, demonstrate, picket, and present petitions peacefully and unarmed. And we'll get to peacefully and unarmed in, in, in a few moments. One point to make, though, is that Section 17 finds itself in a basket of other rights. So mm. the right to protest must be seen also in the light of Section 16, which is the freedom of expression right. And, of course, if I'm protesting, then it's also about my freedom to express my political opinion. Okay. Ibrahim, I just want to bring you in here quickly. Why is it, if, if, if protesting is a right, are you with us, Ibrahim? Yes, indeed. Okay. If protesting is a right, why is it that we, we witness so many protests and it seems like the police are not very much aware that protest is a right and they're almost treating people like criminals? Well, you see, I think, I think that's a bit contentious because um, Ghalib is correct about Section 17 giving people the right to protest. The Constitution is very clear about that. But it is also balanced and has to be re-read, I think, um, in terms of its limitations, in terms of Section 36 of the Constitution. Because it's Section 36 which places a limitation on the exercise of certain types of rights, and in this case, uh, the automatic right to protest. So its limitations are, and the general limitation, just to go back a second, is that no right is completely unfettered. That means no right can be completely used to its maximum. Nor can any, you know, if you don't use one right, your other rights don't fall away, etc., etc. But the general maxim is that your rights, uh, for example, your son would 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 begin where mine end. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't have an unfettered right to free speech, for example. Is it? I might have yeah. I might have an unfettered right to belief, but no no unfettered right to free speech. So I can't impugn your dignity, well, no, or I, I call your old word, etc. Yeah, what I want to get to is, is there a mechanism in place, you know, for the authorities to actually deal with protests? You, you speak about the limitation, but now is there a mechanism uh, in place to manage these limitations? No. In terms of the way in which the police currently act, there isn't, simply because the police appear to be completely ill-equipped for dealing with public order policing, so to speak. And they use the mechanisms which have been used by the old apartheid police, what they used to call public order policing. And that approach is completely incorrect, and that's why you would find that many of the protests either become violent or they tragically end up uh, in large amounts of deaths or destruction. Uh, That's not to say that the protests which 
themselves initiate destruction um, is legitimate. Mm-hmm. But the way in which the police have approached protest often has led to deeper conflagration and conflict in society rather than reducing it. So no, the mechanisms don't actually exist. Okay, Israel, do you agree with that? Just before we break, I just want to, you will have the last word before we break for Maghrib. So maybe just comment on that. And I mean, I'm very concerned. I mean, it's one thing to say, yes, there's a right, there's a constitution, but what about those mechanisms and what can we do to make sure that the police actually have mechanisms in place? So maybe just to make two points. One is that public protests and many of the protests that we see in communities around service delivery or, you know, uh, Zuma must fall or these kinds of things, these are public protests, um, are in fact regulated by a piece of legislation called the Regulation of Gatherings Act. Um, and that is to regulate um, uh, public protest. It also rather curiously and significantly says that everybody, every person has the right to assemble with other persons and express his or her views on any matter freely in public and to enjoy the protection of the state while doing so. So actually that act says that the police must protect my right to, to protest when I'm protesting. So, that, so that's a quite a significant Mm-hmm. legislative provision. Okay. Yeah. And then the second thing, maybe just before the ad break, is to say that the SAPs are meant to operate in terms of a national instruction. So they have um, a uh, standard operating procedure, if you like, for handling uh, public protest. That they sometimes step outside of that is where we need to be more vigilant and, and, and to call them out on. And so um, the extra, uh, extra use of force, for example, is not contained in, in that national instruction. There are, there are very strict guidelines in terms of what kind of force can be, ha- can be used in under what circumstances. Mm. Okay, shukran brother Khalib. We have a lot of people that send in messages thus far. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we haven't been on for long, but yet people are, I think, protesting and protest action is at the very heart of things that we do in this country at the moment. So on that note, you know, we're going to break for Salah and uh, we're going to call the caller back after Maghrib and then, um, yeah, and we'll continue with the program until 7 o'clock. And uh, Salam, we are back uh, with the Constitution Matters uh, program. We have Khalib Khalantia and we have Mr. Ibrahim Fakir online. Do we have him back online, uh, technician? Okay, it's Ampada. Khalib, why we don't have him online yet? Maybe you just want to talk us through. There was a court case, the Social Justice Coalition. What happened in there? And I know that the courts laid down some ground rules pertaining to protests. So the... Uh, Social Justice Coalition is a, an NGO based in Kailicha, uh, in the Western Cape. And what had happened was that they, they had led a, a protest action to the city of Cape Town. Um, and it ended up with them chaining themselves to the, the fence or um, just outside the, uh, the city of Cape Town. Um, many of those comrades then were arrested. Um, and the point in the case was that uh, it was an illegal march um, that hadn't um, con- accorded with the, the Regulation of Gatherings Act because there were more than 15 people. So there was this notion of arbit- arbitrary number. 
Um, and in fact, that's what the Constitutional Court now eventually has said, is that 15 is an arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thumb suck. Why, why should it be 15, not 5, not 100? You know, so how many people actually make up a gathering that needs to be regulated? Mm-hmm. And so um, legislature now will have to go back. That part of the um, regulation gathering. So, what's the rule now? If you're under 15 or 15 people, then it does not have to be regulated. So, currently, anything below 15. So, if you're 14 people, you don't have to give notice. You can have a demonstration. So, I can basically take a few placards now and go stand here in the main road. 14 people. I don't need permission from the city. No. You never need permission from the city. This is the Mm. other point around the regulation of gatherings. Mm -hmm. You merely need to notify. The mm-hmm. municipality, uh, which is different to getting permission for. The only times when you need permission is if you're going to stand outside parliament, outside the union building, or any court building in South Africa. So, okay, now let's unpack that a little bit for me. So, you don't need permission. Mm-hmm. Let's say you want to go to parliament. So, do you, de- you then you need permission? Then I need permission because it's parliament, or okay. the union building, or any court building. Those are the only limitations in terms of... So if you go to the the building next to parliament, you don't need permission? No, if I wanted to stand outside the Catholic cathedral, mm-hmm. because I'm protesting uh, what the Catholic Church is not doing, for example. As long as you're under 14 people? Yeah. Um, yes, if I'm, if we're, let's say we're 50 people yes. um, protesting outside the Catholic um, cathedral, mm-hmm. um, then what we would have to do is to notify the, uh, the municipality. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have any problem with, for example, the route that we're wanting to follow from Kaisergracht all the way to down Ruland Street outside the Catherine Cathedral, mm-hmm. then, um, then they would call us into a meeting within 24 hours. Okay. And only at that point, police would be there, traffic and other security officials would be there to raise with the conveners of the meeting what the problem is with that particular meeting. So it's still not permission. It's only if if that's not workable. Mm-hmm. That the city then has the opportunity. Okay, to. and then this is one question before we get to, to to Ibrahim, is what is your opinion? What, in your opinion, is the one thing that people forget when dealing with the right to protest? So, uh, well, I think there are many things they forget. Okay, okay Ibrahim, it's fine. You can go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's many things they forget. But I mean, I think primarily, if you take many of the protests around the country. Uh, what many people forget is that they, their right to protest um, actually affects a whole series of rights of other people. Mm-hmm. So what we found in protests across the country, particularly those which have been popularly called service delivery protests, is that they, you know, don't have due regard for the kind of property, public property for that matter, that is destroyed in the process, or private property for that matter, where cars are stoned, burned, etc., along the way, or the fact that people are unable to get to work, go to work, etc. Now, obviously, there are very rational reasons for why they do this, because many protest respondents would tell you that if we don't do these things, we don't actually get the attention of the authorities. And so the popular adage that they use is that, you know, if you if no one will hear you if you talk, but they will hear you if you burn. So that's the one big problematic thing. But I mean, you know, in terms of ordinary routines, I think perhaps what Ghalib is saying is that there are certain procedures which have to be followed when um, 
you're going to embark on an action of this kind, particularly if you're going to Parliament or some other national key point that's identified in terms of those acts. That you know, you've got to go through those procedures, uh, give notification, give notification of the route, etc. But the act and many activists are getting much better at navigating the procedural regulatory stuff. So I think that's become much easier, and I don't think there are many significant oversights in the way in which that happens can now. I just, can, Ibrahim, can I just check now? You speak about the right to burn a tire or wanting to burn a tire, but when you, in order to burn a tire, you obviously need to have some form of, of flammable liquid with you. Yes. Now, I mean, isn't there a big chance that a person running down a street with flammable liquid could be potentially be charged for terrorism? Well, look, the legislation is so wide that you could construe it in that way. But, I mean, the way in which our courts have functioned is that they don't interpret these in that in that way. Um, it's clear and it's obvious that the intent is not to, to engage in massive overthrow of the state or, 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 or something of that nature, which is the argument some academics and analysts and researchers have had with each other, is that, you know, is some are some of the protests purely about alternative policies? Is it about demanding better accountability? Is it about wanting better service delivery? Or is this sincerely about overthrowing the government? And unlike the protests in the Middle East, in which were in fact about calling into question the authority of the very government which exists, these are not about that. This is about the credibility of the government. Now, of course, people are at risk of all kinds of things. I mean, they're, they're at risk of self-harm if they're running down the road with a bunch of, you know, flammable liquids and tires and matches, which can get, they can set themselves alight, so to speak. They can do all kinds of things. They're all kind of personal dangers. They're also public dangers. Uh, they're also legal dangers, as you pointed out. But it's unlikely, in terms of our courts and the way in which our courts have kind of interpreted this, is that they don't generally interpret that. And as far as I know, no one has been caught with flammable liquid and has been put in charge of terrorism. Yeah, I think, uh, in fact, you know, I always say, uh, let's not chance that. Okay, <laughs> let's not let's not tempt fate. Ralib, your take on it? So I want to just say that um, very few people, in fact, like in the SJC ten case, got, get arrested for breaching the Regulation of Gatherings Act. Mm -hmm. Most of the arrests, and we've seen lots of arrests. Um, in the last uh, few months and, and over the past couple of years um, happen in terms of other pieces of legislation, the Intimidation Act, um, General Sort of Criminal Procedure, um, Criminal Procedure Act. Um, we, the Dangerous Weapons Act came into effect in 2014. And public violence? Public violence, which is a common law act, uh, mm -hmm. common law uh, crime, um, is, a, is a common one. Mm -hmm. um, the Criminal Laws Amendment Act as well puts in place, particularly for the destruction of public property, quite severe mm -hmm. um, penalties mm -hmm. and, 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 and uh, incarceration, etc. So, so we, we do see... Incarceration meaning you will go to jail. You will go to jail. Okay. Do not pass begin. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and so what we are seeing is a clampdown. Um, and and particularly from a policing perspective, rather than what the RGA says, which is that they need to protect RGA? the the regulation of gatherings act, okay. where um, they have to protect my right to protest. In fact, what we're seeing is um, a, a heavy-handed policing. 
not just in terms of violence and, and weapons being used, but also just in terms of policing and arresting people on a wide range of, of other pieces of legislation that have dire consequences. And so um, added together, that can then add up to uh, a, a chilling effect on the right of expressing myself mm -hmm. and expressing particularly my dissatisfaction with non-delivery. Azona, Ibrahim, after the, the we're going to go for a break now, but I wanted to think about the Marikana issue as an extreme form of uh, police, uh, let's call it brutality, I mean, according to the media. Uh, I wanted to just uh, comment on that after the break. Welcome back uh, to Constitution Matters. I'm your host, Ihsan Higgins, and with me in studio is Ghalib Khalant, and on the line is Ibrahim Fakir, and we're discussing the right to protest as provided in Section 17 of the Constitution. Ghalib, just to quickly, we almost reached the end of our time, unfortunately, but just to, to wrap up your, your, your thought on the whole issue of um, the right to protest in South Africa. So maybe... Uh, one thing that I didn't mention before is that as we're talking about the um, the heavy-handed policing of the right to protest, very often what we're seeing is that um, whereas the section 17 talks about peaceful and unarmed, so in other words, violent protest is excluded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What often? But what about land grabs? I mean, so let me just so the, so you find peaceful protests which is obviously easy to define. You should get violent protests, which again should be easy to define. So an assault, mm -hmm. you know, um, damage to property even uh, would be classified as violent. violent. But the middle category of disruptive protest very often gets um, defined as violent protest. And that's usually problematic through how it's reported in the media, for example. So occupation in and of itself isn't necessarily violent. It's disruptive. Um, and for any protest to be legitimate, it needs to disrupt the status quo. Otherwise, why bother? So, so if I sit in a lecture and somebody comes to disrupt the lecture, surely my rights are infringed. But which right? And again, so we heard through Fees Must Fall, ah, my right to education. Ah, okay, so where does that stem from? It's actually not the right to education there. That was a contractual right that some students signed with, in the, with the university, potentially. Okay? And then you can have the conversation around which right should be the one that um, trumps in, in that particular situation. But, but the purpose of protest, the fundamental purpose of protest is to register unhappiness with the, with the status quo. So therefore it must be aimed at disrupting the status quo. That can be done in ways that aren't overtly violent. And I think we should be limiting the definition of violent protest to those that are violent um, in their nature. And yeah. that really, I think, is, is, is where we, as we were talking earlier about um, how the state response to protest action has become a stronger response, that creep of disruptive protests being seen as violent necessarily mm -hmm. um, has also has also happened. Ibrahim, on your side, um, do you want to comment on what Ghalib has just said? 
Yeah, I think he's right. But, uh, you know, the sense is that, in your example, um, the students who complain that, yes, you have a right to demand free higher education, but you have no right to disrupt the lectures. But then the flip side, obviously, is that if we don't disrupt the lectures, it has no political effect. So we've got to do something fairly dramatic in order to have the attention of those who make policy and make decisions. For example, those in communities who say, if we don't build a community hall, if we don't burn tires, or we don't stone cars, no one in power who makes decisions and makes policies um, listens to us. And therefore, unless you have, as Ghalib is saying, the power of disruption, there is no political effect. But now, but powers of disruption, I mean, why should I, as an innocent bystander, I'm driving my car past, let's say, Prince George Drive. Right, and that's, somebody... where, that's where criminal sanction in terms of other acts or other laws ought to kick in and that's where our policing is fairly ineffective to kind of actually define properly what is the harm that has been caused to someone else and in terms of what act or what law and how do you then prosecute that but you know you asked a different question about marikana and i think that one's much more um politically sensitive a much more clear-cut case of this is in the case of andre statani a protester in the free state who was unwittingly shot dead by by police and he wasn't in fact posing any real threat uh, or any real destruction to public property. In that case, it's very clear that there was a clear case of overuse of the police power. Mm -hmm. What do we as civil society do to educate the authorities in terms of how to deal with a protest, whether it's peaceful or not so peaceful? Well, I, mean, frankly, I think our authorities don't need any more education. They know what to do. They simply being politicized, and this is the problem. Part of the problem is people say, oh, look, the state has been securitized. Well, the state has to be securitized. Every state is securitized. The problem we face is that our security services is politicized. That's the problem. Okay, brilliant. Um, Raheem, your last words, um, because we now need to obviously um, break now. We've got another about two, three minutes mm. left. So just to say, to reiterate that we do have the right to protest, and we must never forget that um, as South Africa. Our constitution guarantees that it's a fundamental right. Um, any limitation on that right needs to be as restrictive as possible. Um, the right in and of itself says that we should be um, protesting peacefully and unarmed, so not violent action, so not criminal action, if you like. Um, but it doesn't exclude disruptive protest. And in the moment that we um, argue out disruption of the status quo, challenging the status quo for it to change, then we will have undermined this right um, to a point where it is meaningless. Mm-hmm. So, f- um, so I would urge our listeners that when we do take to the streets to protest, when we do make our voices heard, because this right allows us to make our voices heard, that we do so strategically, that we give some thought to how we are going to, um, to do so, and that it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. Very often, um, protest action has been unstrategic, um, and it's in that arena where we can work within the legal framework, because we have some tools, um, 
in order to make our point, in order to make our voice heard. Shukran for the Khalib. And Ibrahim, just your last comment. And, and I want you to answer it in the context of protest. In, now that we've, def, de, de, we've basically confirmed that protest is a part of our right in South Africa, can we expect to see a lot more protests happening in South Africa in the run-up to the 2019 elections? Well, we do. The trend is that every time you get closer to an election, there's a greater amount of protest. But, you know, we shouldn't be fooled by the fact that this happens outside of the election period. I mean, on average, we have 300 protests a year. Um, in the country, in communities, and this excludes strikes or other gatherings that people come together at. The evidence is not clear when going to an election, whether the spike is due to the issues that come about because of an election or not. But what is clear is that there is some kind of contagion effect, and that is if one community sees good service delivery, they would want and look next door and say, look, those guys got something, so we want it. That's one. The second, and something which we've over looked in some of the protests is that they are internally stoked in political parties, especially when you come to local government elections. Now, next year we go to a national election, so the issue will largely be about services, attention to particular communities, drawing investments, or wanting more public money in that particular area. But when we go to a local government election, it's usually stoked by members within political parties. So if you, Ihsan or Khalib, is put up by a party to be a local councillor, you're high up on the PR list or you the earmarked ward councillor and I don't like it then I suddenly organize my chomis and we organize a protest against you and sometimes that can turn violent but we use all kind of other things to say why we're doing it you know either service delivery or something else so we shouldn't be blind to the fact that some of these protests are actually politically motivated from inside political parties brilliant actually um, yeah Mr. Uh, Ibrahim I would love to have you and Ghalib again on this show and maybe on the legal hour show you know which we need to have two hours to discuss you know what you guys i think you bring a lot of important points home but for now we have come to the end of the show we would like to thank our guests for joining us this evening this has indeed been an interesting discussion we hope that you at home have learned something new and uh, you know i have uh, now obviously participating in this discussion with your friends and family uh, with regard to the right to protest so next week we're going to talk again about um of about the this whole um, right to protest more on the fees must fall movement the nsfas um, and uh, basically all the issues pertaining to higher education so uh, just flag that uh, you know for next week and uh, same time same place um, for another episode of constitution matters uh, in collaboration with voice of the cape Students for Law and Social Justice, the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, and Canon Collins. So, from my side, I say Assalamu Alaikum and good evening to everyone. Alaikum Assalam. Shukran.